This, this, this is straight, straight, straight out of Crumpton with your host, Greg Crumpton. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Straight Out of Crumpton. I'm Tyler Kern, joined by Greg Crumpton. As always, Greg, how are you today, man? Hey, buddy, I'm doing well. Um, just uh, excited to have a good day. Got us a, a fun guest on, a, a gent yeah. that I've had the pleasure of meeting just recently, but uh, quickly become, uh, uh, I would call him a friend already. So what the heck? Absolutely. So we'll, <laughs> we'll, let, uh, we'll let you kick it off, Tyler. Tell us a little more. Yeah, well, uh, his name is Anders Peterson, and he is joining us now on the line. Do you say Anders or Anders? Anders. Yeah, Anders. no, good question. I don't know. My friends call know. me Durs, though. That's, that's right, Durs. Durs. All right. All right. So Greg already knew that. I'm a new friend. Well, like so. that, it's too hard to say and, so you just say Durs. <laughs> well, it stems from that Workaholics TV show. You know, I get it inevitably walking around. Oh, you mean like Durs from Workaholics, Matt? That's me. There you go. Uh, so, Anders, tell us a little bit more about what you do and some of your, your areas of expertise and, and that sort of thing. And maybe give us an official job title, if you will. <laughs> oh, that's a funny one. Uh, my official <laughs> job title is I'm a cannabis operations specialist at Inspire Transpiration Solutions. We do integrated HVACD systems for indoor cultivation facilities. So we specialize in, you know, the proper temperature, relative humidity and airflow for indoor plant environments. And with today's industry, it's really 99% of our business is with cannabis, right? Mm -hmm. Other plants can be grown inside, but the capital right now is on, you know, available is to build indoor cannabis cultivation facilities. And we're learning a lot about that to then apply to other indoor plant environments. But um, I'm a cell molecular biologist and I'm from the Bay Area, California. I've worked in cannabis since I was 15 years old illegally at first in the black market and uh, just was obsessed with the science of growing plants inside. And so I've been doing that as a full-time job since I was 15. I just turned 30 a few weeks ago. And um, yeah, I'm obsessed with basically trying to master my craft. You know, like it was a career path that wasn't very laid out for me as a kid. I knew I wanted to work in cannabis forever. So I just did everything I could to turn it into a legitimate career. And to do that, I felt like I had to be 100% dedicated on absorbing everything out there and legitimizing myself and the industry and just being a true uh, master of my craft. The interesting, the really interesting thing, and then I'll let Greg go, because uh, normally I let him talk at this point. But I, w I really wanted to ask a follow-up question just on the way that maybe, I think if you were to ask even people that are part of maybe our age demographic, maybe this is where this starts to shift a little bit. Welcome to your 30s, by the way. I'm 34. And it, it, <laughs> Thank your you. Body, your body doesn't ever feel any better than it does right now. So just oh, shut up. Um, shut up. <laughs> Uh, it's all just it's all just a big decline but that's uh, what my, i've been hearing yeah but my question is that I, I think i think for a lot of people their perception of people who are going to or do work in the marijuana or the cannabis industry uh they have an image in their mind but you are really committed and dedicated to your craft and you're a scientist and you all of these different things do you find that you're you're still maybe battling against the image that some people have in their heads of someone who would work in your line of work and, and do what you do? Yeah, absolutely. You know, what I've found is that they can judge me based on the tattoos I have and, you know, the way I dress and all these things, right? But if I know what I'm talking about and I can speak eloquently 
and with precision and cogently about any subject, then it doesn't matter what the appearances are. It matters about what you're putting down, mm-hmm. right? And so that's what I'm all about. I'm about backing up what I know, you know, with data, with references. And if I don't know something, I'll say it, right? Like I tell, I think the best approach to legitimize this industry is transparency and shooting people straight, right? Being honest and doing good business. And so that's what I've always tried to do is just be upfront, be transparent, you know, tell people the truth. And yeah, you get people who, you know, judge, oh, you must just be like a stoner and oh gosh, like all this stuff. Well, that's not really the case anymore. This is an, this industry has evolved at an exponential pace and to the point where, you know, you either have to adapt or you die, right? You, you're kicked out. And I see a lot of people who don't adapt. They're getting yeah. left behind. Oh, it's a great freaking topic. And, and one I've talked to, to there's about uh, a little bit, but more so his, his partners, um, because I, I met these guys because of the HVAC and dehumidification aspect of growing plants, you know, and yes, cannabis is hot right now because tomatoes are legal everywhere and nobody <laughs> wants to talk about tomatoes. Mm-hmm. But when you have a topic and, and you guys both said it very eloquently, you know, there has been historically the stigma in the industry. But stigma or not, it's a multi-billion dollar industry that is going forward. I don't give a crap who doesn't care for it or it's against, you know, whatever, you know, their internal deal. It is a full-blown freaking legitimate business just like pumping gasoline. So you guys both know I'm, I'm an older dude. I'm 57. I'm learning daily about the proper techniques of how to handle the growing environment. I could, you know, I don't need to know the cell molecular biology, <laughs> you know, structure that, that Anders has knowledge of. That's not my deal. My deal is to figure out how to help him have an environment that is that's conducive to helping his customers because that's what they're buying. You know, they're buying his expertise. His company relies on my company to provide the, the help they need in the environmental side. So, you know, it's just been fun for me. But yeah, I mean, I even get looks like when I'm talking to people about the cannabis industry and I, I, I have really dug into this over the last year because I'm legitimately interested in it. Like, you know, because I'm passionate about what I do, just like Anders is. I mean, I, I want to be uh, as knowledgeable as I can to serve the industry I do the same thing in the data center industry. I understand to the best of my ability, given the information that I can learn, how is the best way to extract heat from a microprocessor. I also want to be able to understand about the the evaporation of water from a plant. I mean, I just it's, it's the same thing for me. It's going back to the science. It's going back to the facts. It doesn't matter to me what happens to that plant. It's not my deal. My plan is to give it a healthy environment. So I get it. I love it. But I, I'm I'm super stoked to to hear 15 years old, I was in a horse barn shoveling manure. That was my job. I didn't have one <laughs> quite as fun as yours. But um, it, so I guess, you know, I, I'm 
interested in the human element of your business because I would have to assume, and, and what I've learned so far, actually, is this a small circle of people who are in, you know, I see your hat, actually, I'm looking at the logo. I, I use the, that company or that organization as a, a reference point for a lot of- oh, uh, This one? This is a surfing company. Oh, no, no. I thought it was <laughs> the, uh, what, what is that group that you guys are affiliated with that is kind of like the- Oh, we do. We're in, in a number of industry uh, organizations. So the National Cannabis Industry Association, NCIA, uh, Resource Innovation that's Institute, that, RII. That's, yeah, that's the hat I thought you had on. Oh, yeah. No, different hat. <laughs> but and yeah. The, the amount of information that's out to be consumed and learned mm -hmm. is phenomenal. Uh, and then. Well, it didn't used to always be that way. Though, I know. Right? That's what was. Like, if you look like. When I, I was you and I have collaborated on this article that we're working on for for dehumidification, and um, when I went back and I did Google searches just to see what popped, nothing was dated. You know, everything was yeah. like really, really freshly dated. So tell tell us about the early days and and you as a scientist and how you mm -hmm. had to work through that. You know, I, I'm I'm interested in that journey. That's pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely. It's an interesting subject, honestly. It, prohibition brought a lot of benefits to the plant and a lot of bad things as well, obviously, right? And one of the things that came out of prohibition, obviously, right, cannabis was first made illegal in, I think, 1937, the Marijuana Tax Act of 1937. It was right after alcohol prohibition ended. Essentially, the, um, the federal agents who went after bootleggers didn't have a job anymore. And so that's when the Bureau of Narcotics was formed, and that became the DEA one day. Mm. And so Harry Anslinger was the head of the first head of the DEA, and he basically was like, "Oh, I got all these cops out of work, so I'm going to now create this new thing and go after cannabis, right?" And he teamed up with um, William Randolph Hearst, who owned a number of the large, you know, uh, lumber mills and pulp mills across the country to make paper for his newspapers. And they teamed up with a wide, you know, dissemination of poor information to put bad information out about cannabis that we're still trying to overcome today. So that was really the beginning of it. Then what came was a bunch of pseudoscientists in the 70s, 80s, 90s, where, you know, they were really trying to do the, the right thing in terms of putting out information about cannabis and how to cultivate it and, you know, how to extract it and everything. But they didn't really have – they weren't classically trained scientists in the truest sense in terms of like academia. So they put out a lot of books, which I think had the right intention, but also brought a lot of misinformation that we're having to battle through today. When I came into it, I bought every book. I mean look at my shelf back there. It's every single cannabis book you can, you can find out there I've bought and read. And I've had to question everything. Right, A good scientist always questions everything, and sifting through all this information out there has taught me to be a better scientist because I've had to figure out if what they're saying is right or wrong, and a lot of it was incorrect. For example, one of the funniest things is this term strain. You've probably heard of different strains of cannabis. Well, that was promulgated during, during Prohibition, that term, but strain is not the right term to use for cannabis. Actually, it's cultivar. The word strain actually refers to like yeast and bacteria. It has nothing to do with botany. 
And so people say, oh, this strain of cannabis, well, it actually doesn't make sense scientifically. A cultivar is the right word to use. And so what I had to do, though, for, you know, I spent hundreds and hundreds of hours digging through online forums where probably the best information was passed through in, you know, the early 2000s. Uh, but it was a lot of bad information too. So I had to spend hundreds of hours digging for one little answer to my question and often didn't find it. And now I am shocked at the amount of informational and educational PDFs and podcasts and white papers and you know professional scientists and engineers who are putting out good information. You know, people who are wanting to get a career in cannabis today, I view them as being spoiled because essentially the hard work from guys like me and my colleagues and peers in the cannabis world has been done where we've we've gotten it to a point where, you know, you don't have to question as much of it. I mean, you do still, but it's a lot better information out there today. Well, I, I think that any industry, Anders, if you really go back and look at it, and, and to use a West Coast theme, it's the original gangsters, you know, the OG yeah. of that industry. Yeah. You know, I, my industry is the same way. You know, there there is scientists behind it. And then there are these these backwoods bootleg type people who just get by. And, um, you know, I, I think uh, Adrian, your, your your partner, CEO, was he told me one time when we were talking about the HVAC aspect of, of your company's involvement uh, in the industry. With that four, uh, HVAC was a four-letter word. And, yeah, something you know, that me and my buddy Jesse used to say all the time. And But it's, it's so well-earned. Our industry has been chocked full of hacks. And, and I would have to assume, you know, it runs parallel to your story. You've got the real people out there trying to do it right using science, using math, and then you've got, you know, your your garage dude who's out there disseminating poor info. Same for for us. You know, I want to understand how you you water plants, how you let the plant breathe, how much the plant needs. I want to know all that technically. I don't want to just say, you know, until the leaves blow, you know, whatever. Sure. Yeah. Um, and I think I would have to think even, you know, stretching as far as like what Tyler does, you know, in his world, he Tyler's a, he's a professional, you know, the man's equipped, he's trained, he, he's on, he's smiling right now. He's on point. But there's a whole lot of people out there that are imitating what Tyler's doing podcast wise, company wise that are hacks. And mm -hmm. we're always going to battle that. You know, but I think that good people, regardless of what they're doing, attract you because, you know, I want to hang out with people who are educated yep, in same. in in whatever topic, whether, you know, there's a videographer behind him. And that's, I want to hang with that guy because he studied his craft. That's why he works at market scale. You know, I want to hang out with you because you've got a degree in understanding the freaking cellular <laughs> makeup of the plant, not just the effects and the benefits and the extraction of that plant. So that, yeah. that's where I come from, you know, looking at it holistically. Well, absolutely. And what's been interesting me, you know, is I spent a lot of my 20s living in warehouses, you know, in indoor cultivation rooms, right? There's, there's outdoor cultivation of cannabis, there's greenhouse, and there's indoor warehouse, you know, where you use 
you basically have to recreate mother nature inside in a sealed room with lighting and irrigation and HVAC, you know, temperature, humidity and everything. And that is what really blew my mind was creating an environment inside. I thought it was so cool. That's what got me hooked. And the last few years, what's really gotten me excited is working with engineers and learning more about the engineering that goes into creating these environments inside. Um, I studied the plants so much and all the parameters to dial in, and I knew what I needed to optimize. But then my really the last bastion kind of that was like the last key to get cracked was the HVAC side of things. So well before I worked for this company, I was well into this rabbit hole trying to learn everything I could about HVAC because, you know, for example, I was offered a few really interesting jobs with big cannabis companies running huge facilities. And I turned them down because of their mechanical systems. I said, I'm Amen, not, brother. That's what I'm here to talk about. <laughs> yeah, I, I literally said, I don't think I can solve your problems or be successful at this facility because you have the wrong HVAC systems. Right. And, and that's what got me into this. Like, I didn't get this job just, you know, to get a job. I got it because it's a problem that needed to be solved. And it needed more than just engineers tackling it, it needed biologists and it, people intimate with the cannabis plant working together to solve this, this challenge. And that's so fun to me is like the collaboration of like different expertise and professionals from other spaces like yourself. Like, you know, Greg, even what you've taught me about is the importance of, you know, the networking relationships, but also the, the service, the maintenance, the ongoing care of these live, systems. Live with Yeah. Live with it. Yeah. Right. It's not just buy it and, forget about it. It's, you got to love these machines, you know, just like well, your plants. But, you know, I, I, Anders, I have to think that the, these are the scar tissue moments for the industry because you, you have a lot of people uh, that, that you're re-educating uh, or attempting to that said, okay, we're going to have the indoor grow facility and we're going to do it with, with, you know, brand X residential air conditioning. The, great. It doesn't work. And then, you know, to your point, you, you're, you inherit, or, or there's these properties out there that are all jacked up. Yep. Everything else could be good to go from a cultivation standpoint, except the mechanical. And it's so hard to freaking redo mechanical. Yes. In, in an existing space versus just do it right. But I think that that, if you think about the early data center market, same way, you know, people had these computers crammed in a closet. Okay, it's too hot. Then if you look at the ENIAC, the first computer ever, you know, that thing's as big as a freaking freight train, you know. And now th this this product from Cupertino right now is a whole lot smarter than that big old rascal ever was. Yeah. So the advancements along the way, if, if you think about it. They all have those scar tissue moments of breakthrough. You know, you get to the tipping point. People begin to say, okay, we screwed up that 5,000-foot grow because we tried to use, you know, residential cooling equipment from Home Depot. And that lady who harasses you when you're trying to buy, you know, <laughs> some hardware on Saturday morning sure. about your air conditioner. Good on those people for what they do. Bad on the people in any industry that try to hack it and take the professionalism away from it because the professional engineering 
the professional installation. And, and thank you for saying what you said about living with it after day one, because day two through its life is where the value is. It's not day one. Okay, great. We got a comfortable environment. We cut all the lights on, cut all the ventilation on, and guess what? Your room suddenly gets out of tolerance. You are screwed from the get-go if you haven't done the research and the homework with, to your point, with trained professionals who actually want to deliver a live-with-it-forever mentality, you know? Yeah. So I appreciate that. Yeah, no, man, absolutely. I mean, yeah, the cannabis HVAC world is an interesting one because – you know, a lot of these facilities were built when we, you know, for example, a few of the facilities during the black market days, I couldn't have called one of the big HVAC manufacturers or the local reps and told them what I was doing and, and got the right equipment. I right. was limited to residential five ton units and, you know, decoupled standalone dehumidifiers because that's all I had access to. It's the only right. thing I could buy. I mean, I was kicked out of over 10 banks right? Personal and business because of what I did. I was, I had an account with Granger, you know, all, all these, you know, big companies, I don't want to name drop too many companies, but they would find out the industry you're in and cancel your accounts. And so that's what we, we worked the, with the tools we had available to us. And what that did was that set a precedent for budgetary expectations and levels of control that you could achieve. Now we're having to re-educate people to, hey, there are better tools out there. It, it might have a, a higher CapEx cost, but you're going to be living with these systems for 10 to 15 years. I mean, I think a lot of investors getting into this space and operators, they forget that at the end of the day, this is still farming, right? Farming is not a get-rich-quick scheme. It's, it's plants that you have to grow, and whether it's in a warehouse or out in a field, it's still a long-term play. And so you have to have those expectations that your ROI is not, you know, the tech ROI you saw from the tech bubble. It's a few years longer. And so invest in the right systems up front and you will have a building, an asset that will continually make you money for 15 plus years. Right. Right. And nowadays with all these, there's a lot of poor cannabis facilities being built uh, across the country. And I think what people forget is that it's still not federally legal. Right. So you have to grow the product in the state that you're going to sell it. You can't right. cross state lines. Right. So that means that every state that legalizes it has to build all of their own production. Right. And build all these indoor facilities. The minute that state barrier comes down and it's federally legal, you know, a majority of these facilities will go under. And the ones that were built properly will be Prosper. a true asset. Yep. And they will also be a target for acquisition when consolidation occurs. And so you have to have that facility that holds value. Like, no offense, your weed brand doesn't mean anything to me. There's a million brands out there, and they're all going to consolidate anyways. So build a building. Build a better mousetrap, right? From the get-go. From the get-go. Build that better mousetrap. Have that asset that is will be future-proofed, right? Put a lot of thought into the design and engineering of this facility, and it will pay you back Absolutely. That, you know, it's guaranteed. And so you just got to have the right mousetrap and the right team and it'll come back tenfold. So, so you, you brought up an interesting point with the state versus federal man uh, laws that are in effect. What is the status of that federal banking law? I know that there was a bill mm -hmm. 
that was pending. What What's the story with that right now? Because that has to do a lot with you not getting kicked out of 10 banks in the future. Yeah. What is that looking like? Are you keeping up with that piece of it? Yeah. So there's an interesting federal tax law called 280E that was actually developed um, to combat the mobsters in New York back in the day. It was preventing them from claiming deductions on their taxes from their legal activities. The way that was written was very vague, and it actually applies to legal cannabis businesses today. So we end up paying about a 30 to 40 percent higher tax rate as a business than a traditional business does. And so what that does, that means we deal in lots amount of cash, which is a security risk. And at a federal level, that is the number one thing politicians are willing to talk about right now is, you know, opening up the banking to the cannabis industry. There has been a number of attempts to get this Banking Reform Act through, you know, federal legislation, and it's made it through the House a number of times and gets stalled in Congress, Um, especially during the Trump administration. um, It just was never going to be approved. Um, Right now, they're making another push to try and get this signed off on. I think they're trying to put it into a couple different spending bills and kind of slip it in there. But We'll see. I, I think that the banking reform will pass well before a descheduling of cannabis or a full legalization ever will. But uh, it's going to save a lot of headaches and a lot of challenges for the operators in the space. Yeah, that'll be interesting to watch. Yeah, interesting I've had to, watch I had to deal with it. It was a pain. So you brought up something else that that I I think about a lot and deal with a lot, which is consolidation. You know, in our industry, it it is happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, the company I work for, we buy uh, high quality companies that are, for whatever reason, uh, want to join a larger team. Mm-hmm. That's a choice. You know, they're, we're, we're not buying companies that are struggling and going under. Um, so our consolidation piece is a little bit differently, uh, built a little bit differently. But when you talk about what's coming, what, what your, your vision is and how this is going to play out in your world, what will drive other than the quality facilities is and and here's where my brain is there's i'm going to the nft world um mm-hmm. is there value in a brand or a name that is nft qualifiable versus cash only you know i'm trying to look at this as a 20 year play and is it are there there cultivars out there right now that are uh, resilient enough to stand the test over time, so that there's NFT value in that? I mean, in my in first my of all, no. First of all, I fully commend that proper use of terminology. By the way, Greg, good job. That made me really happy. Here you say cultivar, not strain. But um, you know, other than the, the mousetrap, other than the good facility, the things that people look for when they're consolidating or acquiring these businesses is, you know, what is their market share, right? Do they have a brand that people want to consume? Is it, do they have integrity? They also look at genetics, right? Genetics is the baseline for all success in this industry, right? If you don't have good cannabis genetics, then you're going to have a, you're going to be struggling. So I think if you have certain proprietary genetics that are highly desirable in the market, that will be a very interesting thing. And those will, I believe, have value in terms of what you're talking about with turning it into like an NFT type situation. 
I know they're already trying to do that where they create graphics per cultivar, like a little image associated with that cultivar and uh, potentially trying to monetize it, that image as well. But, uh, you know, the other valuable aspect is SOPs, right? Standard operating procedures, the, the juice behind the grower, right? Trying to standardize the protocols and the methods that these growers use with different strategies. And for repeatability. For repeatability. You know, there's... For, you know, obviously we're looking at these consumer packaged good companies, the CVSs, the Walgreens, the Walmarts of the world, but a prerequisite for them to enter our space is consistency. Mm -hmm. And right now that has been a, a struggle. Um, with, like a baseline consistency. So yeah, and what does that X, mean? You know, you get X. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Consistent in terms of the cannabinoid content, like THC, CBD, all that. Consistency on moisture content of the flower so that we have a, a longer shelf life, things like that. And so that is going to be whoever can do, okay, what we call the four pillars of success for cultivation. It's quantity, quality, consistency, and efficiency. If you can hit all four of those pillars and attack them from different ways, you will stand the test of time. So here's a question. What's the difference in looking at those four pillars only? Mm -hmm. You could say that across damn near any consumable good. Did you sure. not? Yeah, absolutely. So when I think about it, the first thing that popped into my head, this is so weird because I'm not hungry, but I was <laughs> thinking about biscuit making in a restaurant. Okay. So if you think about what you have to do in order to deliver a consistent product and all the things that you have to hit, but if you go into a, a, a you know, a, a restaurant and order, you know, a, a impossible sausage biscuit, <laughs> that biscuit maker holds the key to that, to that batch. Yeah. It, it and I, so this is where I, 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 I understand the balance between this is such a weird freaking thing I'm thinking about. How do you go from that local biscuit maker making that really good product to a SOP driven process? And then I think about Deming and how he brought our, our just in time delivery techniques and all of the automation of industrialization of the world mm -hmm. and juxtapose that against Mary making biscuits. Yeah. That's still really high quality. But everybody wants this that that they can count on. So you go yeah. to the biscuit place, nine days out of ten, get a good biscuit. You go to CVS to buy a particular medical grade whatever from you, you can't have a bad day. No, it you're has right. to be a same day. It reminds me of the, of the Nuclear Regulatory Commission because you can't screw around with a nuclear reactor. It acts like this. And what are you doing to prevent it from acting like that? Because that's the natural thing that's going to happen mm -hmm. because you're making it happen. Yeah. So I, I, I'm, I'm just fascinated with the with that quality technique or, or quality aspect of what you were saying with the, the precision. Yo, that's that's what it is. Precision agriculture. And we call this indoor growing world controlled environment agriculture, CEA. Right. And. That's what we need is control. The more control over all of the parameters of plant growth, 
the more consistent product we'll end up with, right? And so to get that consistency that we need to be on those shelves, we need to have really tight control of all of our parameters and that rep reproducibility. One of the benefits of today's day and age is how cheap, you know, sensor technology and controls and automation has really gotten. I mean, it used to cost half a million dollars to automate, you know, a million dollars to automate one of these cultivation facilities. Now you can do it far cheaper than that, right? And so it's, think about how cheap just thermostats have gotten or these, you know, thermistors and everything. Like it, the sensor technology is so cheap that we can deploy way higher density. We can get way more granular data out of these facilities. And then now we're doing things like AI and machine learning, where we can teach these machines to think like a grower by kind of ripping out what's in my brain. Like we have a controls engineer on our team who basically says, my job is to automate what you know in your brain and, and get you fired. <laughs> well, like I, in, me. in fact, I just pulled his uh, name up in my phone because I, I wanted to be able to look at the people you work with and in his Dylan. name. Yeah. <laughs> so Dylan was, was frontal lobe for me. It's weird you said it right then because what, what my interaction with Dylan and I love that kid. He's such a, a too. funky rascal. He He's on the exact opposite coast of the U.S. that you are. Mm -hmm. um, but when when he and I talk um, controls and mechanical, it, it's so fascinating to me of what you guys have to do with your controls to run that that. C C A E or C E A C E A yeah C -A. control environment agriculture. Yep. So if you think about what you have to do to do it versus what most HVAC equipment manufacturers are doing, it's like you have to write that magic uh, code, no no pun intended, to get the machine to do what you want it to do when it could do it anyway if you had access to the, the full blown spectrum of control. I mean, think about the application. I mean, I don't know if this is getting too technical for your audience, but like think, think about like the dynamic load of what we're talking about, right? When we talk about HVACD loads or engineering, we're typically talking about comfort cooling, like an apartment or an office space where the load is to keep people, you know, in a reasonably comfortable zone or we're talking more advanced applications like indoor pool rooms or ice rinks or some of these more extreme indoor controlled environments, none of those things have plants in them. And what makes these unique, this unique application is I like to think of these plants as little humidifiers. They're drinking water through their roots. And when the lights are on, that light or the vapor pressure deficit of the space as well is driving that water flow through the plant and turning it into water vapor from the underside of their leaves through little pores called stomata. And so when the lights are on in these spaces, these plants are pumping water vapor into the space at a high rate, right? And then all of a sudden, after 12 hours, the lights instantly shut off. And all of that load changes in a split second, right? The temperature starts to drop. The relative humidity spikes somewhat sometimes in the 15 to 20 percent range if you don't have good controls. And then you're left with a moldy room of a swamp room, right? And so the controls, what I've learned, help maintain adherence to set point and flatten that curve, I guess mm -hmm. if you could say. Make it a and sine wave instead of a spike. 
That's right. And that spike is detrimental. And for years, we've known about this spike as growers. We, we had to do things manually that cost a lot of labor to prevent crop loss because of these poor controls. Mainly fans everywhere. Well, fans and then also like preventative spraying of the crop. So like putting different plant care products on the crop to limit mold and pathogen outbreaks. But now instead, it's like your HVAC system is your best pest management tool for an indoor grower today with the right capacity and the right controls. You don't even need to be spraying stuff on your plants to prevent mold or anything like that. It's really use control your environment better and it's your best risk mitigation tool you got. And working with Dylan has been so fun because, you know, he doesn't come from cannabis or growing plants, but he and I have hour, hour, hour long, you know, debates and conversations about how to best control these rooms. And he has in turn written a very intelligent control scheme that, I mean, for example, I'm, I'm going to pump him. I'm going to give him an ego don't, boost real quick. You know his head's <laughs> going to swell so big. Well, well, one of the things we control <laughs> is CO2 supplementation into the space, right? So we pump CO2 into these rooms because that's like food for plants. And so we control the solenoid valve and the supply duct that's dumping CO2 into these rooms. You know, in most rooms, it's tight control is plus or minus 150, 200 parts per million. And we're targeting, say, 12 to 1,500. And so it's swinging up and down, you know, almost 200 parts per million. With Dylan and I working together and his really intelligent code, uh, we're maintaining plus or minus 15 parts per million in all of our rooms, wow. CO2, which is crazy, right? Like yeah, That is a head pump moment, though. That's good. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was really cool for him to see that. Well, Anders, we're, we're, uh, we're almost there. So the hourglass is ugly right now, and I know that uh, – we, we all have things to do, but I just wanted to take a minute and tell you, thank you for the education. I appreciate the professionalism and the, and the, the realm of expertise that you're operating in. It's so cool to hear that because it, it speaks to me of what I try to do. You know, you, your, your field of choice is different than mine, but, you know, we're both having to get really good at what we're doing. And, you know, same with, like with Tyler, you know, we're, we all are about doing things properly. And it's just so cool to hear different ways of doing it, you know, of, of, or different verticals rather of pursuing excellence. So love to hear it. I really do appreciate you taking time to, to chat us up on it. Absolutely. Well, Greg, another awesome episode in the books. It's been a fun, fun day, fun conversation. And um, yeah, I've loved every second of it. I really, I really enjoyed it. Of course, of course. Well, we have more episodes on the way. Of course, you can find all the previous episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and gregcrumpton.com. So make sure to go check out the podcast if you want to uh, check out more episodes, more interesting conversations that we've had with phenomenal people. But for this one, for Greg Crumpton, for our guest today, Anders Peterson, I've been your host, Tyler Kerr. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for listening.